uh, but, but more so, again, just like these boys singing, uh, it's been a joy to be in your homes and just get to know you better. And uh, we, we pray for Pastor Dunbar and the church, and we'll continue. Brother Fagali, uh, I said earlier in the week, I've been all over the world, but I've never been where you are. I've been afraid of it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's a joy to, to know what's happening there. Those slides are unbelievable, and I just pray that God continues to bless. Please turn in your Bibles, first of all, to Matthew 7, and then our text will be found in Jeremiah 33, 3. There's an old saying that he that stands best kneels most. And I just want to say, just not preach, but from experience, God answers prayer. And uh, from a guy who's been in a lot of battles, a lot of kind of unbelievable, impossible situations, God does move mountains. I've never prayed and had uh, the Teton Mountains move or something like that, but I certainly have seen God do unbelievable things. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, just a well-known passage, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. This is a wonderful passage. I want to stop and just preach a whole different message on this passage here. Uh, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Wonderful promises of God. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father which is in heaven, give good things unto them that ask him. You, you, let that verse just grab a hold of you. It's Christmas time's coming. And boy, we spoil our kids, don't we? We give them too much. And uh, what, what he's saying here, if we can do that, how much more can our Heavenly Father do it? How much more? Notice the, the, the word ask in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, uh, 11. And I want to ask, you do you ask in prayer do you ask believing we're told we have not because we ask not again do you ask that's what the message is going to be about in jeremiah 33 3 we know this passage call unto me and i will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not let's read all three verses uh, verses Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it, to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, please guide and direct my thoughts, my words, and empower what I have to say. Speak to hearts. Grab a hold of young people and old people alike and help us to renew our belief in prayer and that you're a great God and you love to answer prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. As we begin reading Jeremiah 33, we uh, see that he's in a place nobody wants to be, and that's jail. In the first 
question that would come to mind is why? Is he a criminal? Has he done something wrong? And the answer, of course, is the opposite. He's there for doing right. He walked up and down the streets of Jerusalem condemning King Zedekiah. The Babylonian captivity's coming. The Babylonian captivity's coming. And Zedekiah the king is going to be carried away into captivity. You can imagine why they got mad if you could picture Pastor Dunbar out in front of the courthouse here in Auburn crying out, uh, uh, the, the Chinese are coming. They're going to take, in, take you into captivity. Uh, they'd be mad, wouldn't they? You're going to take the mayor in captivity. I, I think the mayor would be mad. But remember, and I want to, uh, this isn't my message, but I want to point out, he's not the only one that was thrown in jail. Joseph was thrown in jail for standing against Potiphar's wife. Everything. Boy, there's another whole sermon, isn't it? Uh, everything, the lies, everything was going against Joseph. He was thrown in jail. Um, then John the Baptist was thrown in jail. Why? Because he was preaching against the adultery of the king. Peter was thrown in jail for spreading the gospel. Paul and Silas, Silas were jailbirds. Now, so many today, most today, it's sad, would compromise. They'd say, I'm too important to go to jail, or it doesn't look good if I go to jail. They'd compromise. They'd, they'd bend. But Jeremiah was a jailbird for the Lord because of his stand. And I'll tell you, the, the, the more I get into God's word and the longer I've been in the ministry, the more I believe the greatest sufferers for God are the greatest producers. Sometimes people think the person that's at the conference shouting and yelling and all that kind of stuff, hallelujah and all this, they're the greatest Christians. And I, they can yell all they want, that's fine. But I, I'll tell you what, what I find is those that walk with God, get the blessings from God, are the ones that are suffering for God. Those that are going through the baptism of fire. You think of, of Fanny Crosby, totally blind for 70 years, but out of that darkness came a, a, a hymn book of light. My, my favorite, every time I like a song, I look at it, it's Fanny Crosby. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Draw me near. Tell me the story of Jesus. I'm saying sufferers are the greatest producers. And I think it's because they lean on him, they go to him, and I think one of the problems we have today is we have it too good. I think it's going to end, but we have it too good. You think of um, my father's generation. It was nothing to walk for miles to church and back from church. Nothing. That's it's nothing. That's how you get to church. Today, our car breaks down and we don't even call up for a ride. We, we have a very weak Christianity today. Um, uh, the church I pastored, when we were the strongest is when people were trying to destroy it. When the, the, the most powerful man in northern Indiana, he was a Supreme Court justice, was going around seeing, they'd see, see our ladies with dresses and he'd say, now, believe it or not, a Supreme Court justice would say, we're going to bleed your church to death. And he was doing, and I'll tell you some stories, Pastor Dunbar asked me to tell some stories, so I'll do it tonight. But... Uh, but uh, again, he meant business. And the point I'm getting at is that that's when our church was the strongest. 
We grew. I, I, I mentioned when we were teaching on giving, we, we were actually a, a rich church. I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars of property we were worth. I don't know how many tens of thousands of dollars came in every week. We actually became a, a rich church, and really we weren't at all as powerful. I remember when I was very young, and I was young at one time, uh, when I was very young and going into ministry, as I had said, I'm a shy person, I'm a backward person, and I remember the first person that was dying that I was supposed to visit in the hospital, I was scared to death. What do you say to somebody that's dying? And uh, I I actually made up a little outline, I didn't show it to that lady, but I I was scared to death, and I and I went in there, and, and you know what happened. She was a blessing to me, okay? She knew she was dying. She was right with God. God was with her. She was, and I found that every time through my life, visiting people that were in real bad shape. Sufferers are a blessing. You think of John Bunyan in that old sleazy uh, Bedford jail, and out of it came Pilgrim's progress. Sufferers are producers. Sufferers are the people that see the blessings of God and are the nearest to God. So we see Jeremiah suffering in Zedekiah's prison, and out of it comes one of the greatest verses in, in the Bible. How many people have put their finger when things are really rough? How many people have turned to Jeremiah 33, 3 and read, call on me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. This is one of those verses penned in affliction, in blood and and, and affliction. Don't be afraid of problems. Now, I'm no prophet, but I believe our country's going into very hard times, very, personally, very hard times. Uh, the politics, I, I, when I get back, I'll be knocking on doors again for this, uh, this uh, political season the next couple days. I, I believe in that. I believe in doing what we can. But politics aren't going to save America. No, sir. We're headed for hard times. We're headed to the place where, where there's no, no, no place to turn. And uh, you just have to be ready for it. Um, I know myself, I've gone through hard times, and I can remember more than once, but one time in particular, just on the floor begging God for help, and and I don't believe in revelations or visions, I don't, but it was just as though the devil had his foot on my neck, and I'm begging God for help, and it was like God just came and pushed him aside and put me in his arms. I mean, God is real. I, 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 God is, is real. Call on me. Uh, you, you, you'll never call like you should until you give up to God and you stop fighting some hard times. Marriages are not what they ought to be. Money, finances are not what they ought to be. Children, churches are not what they ought to be because we never give in to God. And let him mold us. We, we seem to fight it when hard times come. We should be saying, God, mold me, okay? I might not like it, but mold me, even if it hurts. We never seem to allow ourselves to get into the place where he has to perform a miracle. Let's, let's say financially. 
Let's say all of a sudden you got a $1,000 bill that you didn't expect. Boom, a $1,000 bill. Now, what I'm afraid most people would do is kind of sneak it out of their giving. Kind of lower their giving a little bit and just let let it pay back. Why not just get on praying ground with God? Why not let him send money from heaven? Honestly. Why not let him perform a miracle? Why not trust him with your wife and your kids? These kids singing up here tonight, you know what I want to say? Don't ever back down. You know what impresses me? I, 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 don't, I hesitate saying this, but you've got wonderful families in this church. Don't ever back down. Don't let anybody tell you to get off the right path. No matter how hard it might look or how much things might be going to go wrong, trust him with your children. <clears throat> Allow him to build a great church. I believe God wants this today. Not, not seminars on church finance, not psychology uh, books on, on the home, but he wants us to trust him. And let him go back to the $1,000. Let him give you the $1,000. Do my jig. I'll show it to you. Okay? Do the Baptist jig. Uh, let him give it to you. Now, my first point is Jeremiah 33.3 makes prayer a direct command of God. It's an order. Call unto me. He's not counseling us. He's not recommending it. He's not hoping that we call. He's not begging us to call. No, he, he's not leaving it up to a choice. He's saying, call. Now, put it down. You may never miss a service in this church. You may put money in the offering plate every time the plate goes by, but God is not pleased with you if you don't really pray. Now, I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I'm not talking about we should pray at our meals, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about praying. Prayer is not a luxury. It's a necessity. It's not when we have time. It's a must. We must pray when we want to and we don't. You say, oh, I always want to. No, you don't. We must pray when we feel like it and we don't. You say, I always feel. No, you don't. Be honest. We must pray when our circumstances are right or wrong because we are disobedient when we don't. Jesus said, pray without ceasing. I've heard stories of like Billy Sunday that sometimes he just started praying out loud. That's, a, that's the kind of life we ought to have. We ought to have a type of life that we're always with God, always, and I'm not saying we don't do other things, but it's always there, always with us. We either pray or we die spiritually is what I'm saying. We either pray or we go back on God. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It looks to me like his children would want to pray, want to talk. I don't know about you guys, but my father, there's very little that I'd rather do than talk to my father sometime. I'd really like to talk to him. And we ought to want to talk to our Heavenly Father is what I'm saying. He shed his blood for us. What, what really gets me sometimes is when, when you realize 
he, he created us for, for fellowship. We ought to want to, we ought to just naturally pray. We ought to be going through life and just start praying. Yet God has to order us to pray and so many don't. The reason is that we're creatures with a tendency toward worldliness. Isn't that right? Our flesh wants to watch the wrong thing on television. Okay, our, our flesh wants to do wrong, wants to sin. We have a wicked Adamic nature inside of us that wants to do anything but pray. Our flesh doesn't like to read the Bible. Our, 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 our flesh doesn't want to win souls. Our flesh doesn't want to go knocking on doors. And more than anything, our flesh doesn't want us to really pray because that's where we get power and that's where we get direction. And we're going to have to fight back. We don't have to fight to eat, do we? I don't. We don't have to fight to sleep at night. We don't have to fight. Uh, I see some Syracuse fans here, man, if there's a game. I, you don't have to fight to watch the Syracuse game. But isn't it strange? We forget to pray. And that's where we get our power. And that's where we get our direction. That's not accidental. The old flesh, the old Adamic nature will give us any excuse to pray. Well, I got up too late. I've got to eat. I got to go to work. The flesh will get you to do anything to keep you from praying. But also, God orders us to pray because of this discouragement that Satan brings. Revelation 12, 1 says, Satan is accuser of the brother. I'll tell you what, and I know this never happens to you, but I'll, I'll start praying and God says, not God, Satan, <laughs> says, uh, why should he listen to you? You're not, you're not that good. And I say, yeah, you're right. What, what, so why do you do it? You're, you're not what you, everything you should be. He will, he will get you any way he can. He knows us. And thirdly, I believe God orders us to pray throughout his word to stop the natural spiritual decline. We naturally decline. We have to fight not to. And so <clears throat> in prayer, God uses the term supplication and meditation. That's why we need time. You're not going to do it all the time. You have to set some time aside to pray and meditate and allow God to deal with your heart. You know, if it's just pray, here's, here's my prayer list. That's not supplication. That's not meditation. But God, when you're really taking time, God will say, you're watching too much television. Or you're watching the wrong thing on television. Or you're robbing God. Whatever it might be, he molds us in prayer. That's the only way. I, I, we make decisions in church, but at least in my life, where I've been molded, it's in prayer. It's when I've given God time. He deals with our life. Men ought always to pray and faint not. Back in Matthew 26, 41. Matthew 20, uh, 26, 
verse 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, isn't it? But the flesh is weak, isn't it? The day you fall, you'll find you haven't been regular in prayer. Maybe you've fought this idea, men, of the, the computer and pornography, and you think you've got it whipped. Never again. The day you fall is when you haven't been praying. In Luke 32, 22, Jesus, Jesus said, I am praying for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. And if you don't pray, your faith will fail. Behind every backslider is a prayerless Christian. You better pray or we're goners. Jeremiah 33, 3 makes prayer a definite command. But secondly, the purpose of this verse is to build our confidence in pray, prayer. When you, when you pray and you get answers, boy, you get confident. I, again, your pastor asked me to tell stories, and I like telling stories. <laughs> but when we started our church, uh, again, I'm a Bob Jones graduate like some others in here. Then you know they didn't really teach you how to. I didn't know how to start a church. I didn't know anything about starting a church. They weren't local church. And so, again, God led me to start a church. And uh, so I'm going to start a church. Now, I want to say this I don't consider myself a real spiritual, real godly person. But when it's time to pray, I, I do pray. If, when it's time to find God's will, I do find God's will. I, I, I think sometimes it's good to have a little of fighting with God. Like I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to start a church. And so I really wrestled with God, and I knew it was God's will to, to start, start a church. So my pastor, Dr. Bill Schroeder, uh, he, he said in Chicago, I was from Chicago, and uh, he said, you just come back here, and uh, there's about 40 or 50 independent Baptist preachers, and you present your work, and they'll support you. Okay, that's easy. So I went back. I went to the meeting. I, I presented my work. I probably didn't do a very good job, but this big shot, there's always big shots. He got up and said, we don't need a church in Chesterton, Indiana. Ooh. <laughs> Zero support. So you, what do you do? I was called. Now, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I was called. I say I was as stupid as anything as spiritual. I, I was called, so I'm going to start a church. So we started a church. You say, did you raise support? Nope. Did you send a letter out? Nope. We started a church, and I prayed. And it came in. Sharon knows it just came in. I can't remember how it came in, but it came in. And, and uh, you know, on Monday, I'd especially be praying. I don't know why that's supposed to. That was the time I was supposed to get my check that I didn't get. But on Monday, I'd be, I can picture in that old house, kneeling at the sofa and praying, God, now we got, we, we got to have food or we got to pay the rent or whatever it is. We had a baby. Sharon was expecting my oldest. Uh, we, we need, and it came in every time it came in. And <clears throat> then uh, we, we were going to start a school. And uh, we, we were two years old. When I, I, I ought to say that, that boom, God, uh, we, we were talking about 
Dr. Stuart Crane. I had him come speak. He was conservative, and uh, all these conservatives came out and loved him, and some got saved, and boop, the church was running 40, and we had a nice income. Then <clears throat> at, uh, at, uh, at two years old, the Lord was leading us right from the start of the church to start a, start a Christian school. And we felt we should start a school kindergarten through sixth grade, so we can hire, I hired seven teachers. And I don't know what it was, maybe two or three weeks, a month at the most before school was supposed to start, we had 10 students. Well, how do you pay? <laughs> we needed 100 is what our budget was for. And I in the flesh saying, I need to call these people. It's only right. I don't want them to come here and I can't pay them. They, they, they come here and we can't pay them. And you ever do this, you know, get on your knees and God says, get up off your knees. I already told you what I want you to do. Now that's happened to me several times. Okay, <laughs> scared to death. But when we started the school, we started with 99 students. Now, again, what's my point? God wants to build our confidence in prayer. And, and, I, and I'll tell you what, if I've really prayed about something, you're not going to move me. <laughs> we ought to have confidence. It's abnormal. It's unnatural for a child of God not to see his prayers answered and not to see some big prayers answered. I will answer thee, he said, and I'll show thee great and mighty things, not perhaps, not maybe. It's a direct promise of God. Ask and ye shall receive, the Bible says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Bible says. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything, now this is it, according to his will, you've got to find his will first. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer believing, ye shall receive. Prayer is not a maybe so is what I'm saying. It's not a hope so. It's shall, no, will. God must answer the prayer of a faithful child. Again, I say, you've got to know God's will first. Then you pray. You look around, and you see sadness. You see burdens. I'm saying God must answer your prayers. First of all, because of his character. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of sympathy. Now, I... I love my children, and I'd give them anything. Sometimes we give them too much, don't we? Matthew 7, against, I want to read that again. 7, starting in verse 9. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, let it hit you, if ye then being evil, we think we're something, we're their parents. We're evil, okay, we're sinners. If we old dirty sinners can take care of our kids, God's saying, can't he take care of us? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven? Isn't that a wonderful Wow, a wonderful thought. 
How much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask? If, our, if we earthly parents, how much more? God must answer our prayer. He betrays his nature. And then turn with me to that well-known verse of, of, of Romans 8, 32. God must answer our prayer because of his cross. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Go with me outside that Damascus gate, out to the hill of Golgotha, and um, see in your mind Jesus. His, his back is ripped apart by a whip and uh, they've took this, these long thorns and shoved it on his head. They, they, they pulled the beard out and buffeted him and the Bible says he wasn't recognized as a man. And then we see them take those spikes and nail them to the cross. And it says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Huh? That's logical, isn't it? If he'd give his son, he'd give us any good thing. His wounds are my guarantee that he loves me enough to answer my prayers. He must answer my prayers because of his character and because of the cross, but also because of his contract. Titus says God cannot lie. That makes Jeremiah 33, 3, truth. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, God cannot lie. Well, you say, I, I believe all this, but I still don't get answers. Then something's wrong, not with God, but with you. Some people are, and it, it amazes me how people are just persistent in their sin. I don't know what it is, but I think they may not think it through, but, you know, I, I come to church every Sunday morning, I tithe, I go soul winning, I do this, I, I, I deserve this one little sin. I've dealt with preachers, I've dealt with missionaries with that problem. And sometimes it's not a little sin. I deserve this sin. Well, keep on telling yourself and you're not going to have your prayers answered and God's not going to be able to bless you. Maybe it's a problem in the home. First, Timothy, First Peter 3, 7 says that your prayers be not hindered. Are you going to go on with that wicked, dirty thing in your heart and not get answers? But then <clears throat> look at Mark. And you don't have to turn to all these passages, but Mark eleven twenty four. Sometime it's an unforgiving spirit. Mark chapter eleven verse twenty four through twenty six says, in Jesus speaking, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. That's what we're preaching, right? There it is. And when you stand to pray, forgive if you have aught against any, 
that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. There it is. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven. There it is. It's so clear. Look at Stephen. I've ever, I can't comprehend it. They're, they're, they're gnashing on him with their teeth. I just, maybe that's a Middle Eastern thing. <laughs> Gnashing with their teeth. And they're stoning him with stones, and he says what? Forgive them. And we just described Jesus just uh, hanging naked on the cross, not recognizable as a human being. Father, forgive them. I guess what... My advice would be if you have ought against somebody, you say, you don't know what they did. I know how you feel. <laughs> I know how it is. There you are. <laughs> take, take that, dig a hole six foot deep behind the house, fill it up, bury it, spit on it. You're the one that hurts. Nobody's more miserable than someone carrying a grudge around. You hear preachers talk about answers prayer, you don't see it. Maybe it's because of a grudge. And neither will God answer your prayers if you're a stingy Christian. Mom and dad's always fussing about money and you walk around with holes in your pockets. We were talking about that today. Some people that make a lot of money but they don't have it. And what, what, what I hear all the time is, or I have heard when I was a pastor, I can't do it. I can't make it now. Well, just on the side, I'd say, I'll sit down with you and help you with your budget, and I'll guarantee you can do it. People waste more money today. They blow money. But Luke 6.38 says, Give, and I'll give unto you. I love stories and illustrations about giving, because something about it's on black and white. Got a counting in here. We know what it means, black and white. Give, and I'll give unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it'll be measured unto you again. That's real. You say, I can't do it. Yes, you can, if you believe God. He will take care of you. I've talked about the church there back in Indiana. Man, he took poor people and made them very wealthy because they gave. I could tell you story after story. On the other hand, I could tell you a story of people never had enough, never satisfied. And they're always miserable. They die miserable. Give, and it'll be given unto you. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall, he also shall cry himself, but not be heard. I think that has a lot to do with missions. You, you look at the Middle East, look at those slides. And again, I've been around enough. Boy, we're rich. I'm not going to go into that again, but we Americans are rich. If you're not a tither and a giver, you say you're okay, you're not. You're not unless you're giving exactly if you don't pray to God and say, show me what you want me to give, 
and you give it, even when times are rough, that's when you see miracles. Turn to James, and I, I'm, I'm going to wrap things up in just a, after another story. <laughs> James 4. You won't get the answers you should unless you give what you ought to. The Bible says you ask, and I'm talking about asking, but in James 4, the end of 2, it says, uh, you lust, you have not, you kill, you desire to have, and you cannot obtain, you fight, and you war, yet you have not, because you ask not. Now get this, ye ask and receive not. Okay, you ask. We've been talking about asking. You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. What it's saying is you shouldn't be praying for a Cadillac or a Mercedes. If he gives it to you, fine. But you, you pray that God takes care of you, that you can give and let him give you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let him give it to you. Again, one last story, just for Pastor, Pastor Dunbar's sake. When our church was four years old, I told you how we started, then the school. When the church was four years old, <clears throat> we were expanding the school. We started with uh, going through sixth grade, and we were expanding it to go through high school. And uh, a new Christian, a lady, a young Christian, had her two younger kids in grade school, wanted to put her 15-year-old son in our school. And this is a very short version, but he ran to the police. Now, up to that point, now we're talking a long time ago, up to that point, if somebody, some kid ran to the police, he'd take him to your house, bring him to the mother and father. But this was the pilot program. There was a lady, a young lady, by the name of Hillary Rodham Clinton, and others like her behind write, writing these, you know, it takes a village type of an idea. And they were writing this idea. It was a pilot program for them. And, and you think about Loudoun County, Virginia, that's what they're doing. They're saying, these kids are ours. They're the government. Well, that's what this was, only more basic. He ran. Uh, he had uh, seen uh, signs that they had in the school, having a problem with your ch uh, parents. Call this number. And uh, 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 again, they had child advocates. This, in this case, it was a police sergeant. And uh, so he ran, and they kept him. They contacted the mother, and her, her husband had been killed, actually. And uh, so she didn't have a husband. I went with her, <clears throat> and I sat there, and I heard this with my own ears. I mean, I heard a lot more than this. But... Uh, she was told not only could she not send him to school, but she couldn't send him to Sunday school. Now, this is, this is about 48 years ago. And she couldn't use the word God in her, his presence if he didn't want it. We stood with her. It's a long story. We ended up in jail and uh, found out again it was a national pilot 
program that was being studied and practiced there in Porter County, Indiana. We had the trial, uh, and again, it's hard to explain this in just a few minutes, but there was a group called the Northwest Indiana Crime Commission. It was funded by the steel mills and so forth. It was no conservative organization. They came. They, they knew more than I did how important that case was. They dissolved it. You talk about this, the, the government, is, <laughs> when you get into playing with the government, you see they don't play footsie. They, they are nasty people. Uh, there was a, a, a big lawyer from Hammond, Indiana. Again, not a Christian, but a big lawyer, two floors of offices and so forth. I never saw him before, but he came and he said, I want to help you. They disbarred him. Now, I would say he was 55 years old or so. Can you imagine? They disbarred him. He couldn't make a living the rest of his life. We won, but the judge that ruled in our case, they tried to disbar him, okay? It was a real buzzsaw. The newspapers, I would say, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, they would say, they would quote me as saying, God loves a bruised and bloody body. Um, we won, but our bus ministry went to nothing. Our school, we lost 100 students, if you imagine the cost there. We were building our auditorium. Many of you have seen the auditorium. It's a very large auditorium. We were building it, and the bank pulled our loan. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it gets pretty nasty. And um, I'm saying, what should we do? <laughs> Again, you picture, we won. Oh, yeah, we were in the front page of the papers. We won. But everything, everything was gone. In today's money, I would say we were maybe five million in the red. No way to pay it. And uh, what should we do? Well, I always preach, you reap what you sow. And so I said, let's go knock on every door. At the time, I forget how many miles around, 50,000 doors we knocked on. And we knocked until somebody answered. Not one person came to church because of the bad publicity. 50,000 doors, you reap what you sow. You say, what was God doing? I didn't know, but I think now looking back, I can say he was showing that he was going to do it. That we weren't going to, he just wanted to show himself. We're all through, there's nothing we could do but pray and keep on going with the church. We didn't lose one church member, we were running a couple hundred. And all of a sudden, and that's the only way I can say it, the church grew from 200 to 1,100 in one year. And then the church grew from 1,100 to 1,600 the next year, and the church grew from 1,600 to 2,000 the next year. So in three years, the church grew from 200 to 2,000. Now let's go back to the judge. He's the guy that was in charge of this whole program. He was so mad, so frustrated, he wanted to kill. He wanted to destroy us. So you say, what happened? He sued us. <laughs> Here our church is growing, everything's going good. He couldn't stand it. He sued me for millions personally. He sued our church millions for millions. That's how he was going to bleed us to death, okay? And... Uh, He's, again, super powerful man. And uh, from our area, Supreme Court Justice, 
and and uh, the court case was venued to a little town, Rensselaer, Indiana, with a little judge, a young judge. That's the only way I can say little. He wasn't little, but this no influence. And I know what this big, powerful judge felt. He's just going to run this guy, and he's going to win. So I asked the people, I said, oh, we're going to have prayer meetings, and we had a lot of prayer meetings. And I said, I want you to pray for one thing, that God makes this young judge to be honest. That's all. We were right. That's all we're asking, that the young judge will be honest. We prayed and we prayed. That's all we prayed. Just deal with the heart of this young judge. He wasn't saved. So we got to the courthouse in Rensselaer, and uh, they put us in a room. They put everybody in a room. And all day I hear the, uh, the big Supreme Court justice guy cussing and swearing and yelling, and there's all kinds of things, and I, I don't know what's going on out there. The end of the day, it was another pastor and I I have to say, I did have a witness. <laughs> the, the, the young judge asked to see us. And I, and I walked into his chambers. It was kind of dark. It was the end of the day. He was standing. I would never forget his elbow was on the, on the uh, mantle of the fireplace. And he said, come closer. And I came closer, and he fell on his knees and he grabbed my leg and he said, Reverend, pray for me. I don't want to hurt the cause of God. Pray for me. I don't want to hurt the cause of God. Now, has state even saying this because it seems unbelievable that I was there and the other preacher was there. Pray for me. Now, the point I'm making, and I'm through, God answers prayer. Amen. And the rougher, rougher, spot you get in, the more impossible thing you get in, the more he shows himself. God answers prayer. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.